All right. All right. Yeah. That should have been you dancing, bro. You would have done a much better job. Jacob, did your friends know you could actually do, dance like that, man? Yeah, I'm sure they did. That's awesome. But Jacob Kim killed me. Yeah, he, he decimated me. Heavy, big time. Big time. All right, let's find our seats. Amen. That was good times, huh? Well, I get the privilege of bringing us the word today, of which I'm very excited. Um, yes, thank you, Christina. Christina is excited. Jacob Kim is ready. We're, we're good. Amen, Jacob Kim. Jacob, you're the man. Great impression, by the way. Uh, what was that, Mexican that you were doing? That, that was awesome. So, Jacob, we didn't know that you were doing an internship for uh, uh, Santa Claus. You want to do that this summer? That's cool. Okay, let's get into the Word, shall we? If you would, turn open your Bibles. We're going to go Old Testament today. We're going to go to the New Testament also, but we're going to start in the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Chapter 1, verse 6. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, today we ask, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. And God, through the preaching of your word, you would transform our hearts and transform our lives into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Malachi chapter 1, only verse 6. Now, if you're here for the first time, I said this last time I preached, which last week in Pastor Raful. How many enjoyed Pastor Raful? Little Middle, Middle Eastern man. He's awesome. Got to love that guy. Always a blast. Um, but I preached the week before him. And if you're here for the first time, it's going to almost feel like you're coming into a conversation midway. That's always awkward. Have you ever come into a conversation midway and actually started talking in that conversation like you actually knew what they were talking about? Have you ever done that or am I the only one? Jacob Kim, you know you've done that. That's right. Well, what we can do to be able to handle that problem is that if you could go to Hilltop, if if you're so inspired, you know, go to our website. Don't look at four Sundays ago because you're going to be tremendously let down by the word I preached. But if you look at the last two Sundays, I'm joking. It's a joke, Christina. Christina's my biggest fan, I think. Uh, No, but... um, if you go back a couple Sundays and you listen to, um, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before and then the Sunday before that, you can hear the message, and then it won't feel so much like you're coming into a conversation midway. That's important. That's important. Because the topics that we're addressing, well, they're not necessarily seasonal. <laughs> I know that you probably came expecting a, 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 a message about um, Christmas, which most churches are probably doing. I have no problem with that. But I didn't prepare a message on Christmas or Christ or, well, it's about Christ, of course. <laughs> now you're already laughing. That's so good. That's so good. I'm so glad. I've trained you well. Um, but uh, it's not seasonal. The conversation that we're going to have today, that's oh, weighty. It's weighty. And for the most part, sometimes hard to receive in the body of Christ. How can I say that? Because well, I've been on the receiving end before, <laughs> and I've heard these types of messages, and they've always either shaken me to the core where I would close down, and maybe to a point get a little offended, or I would open my heart, and actually the Lord would do something tremendous. So Malachi 1.6, Old Testament. Somebody say praise God. Okay. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I be... I, being God, a father, where is my honor? And if I, I again, being God, I want to put that in there, be a master, where is my what? Where is my fear, if you're looking at the NLT? Where is my fear? Woo. Saith the Lord of hosts, unto you, O priest, that despise my name, And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? We and thine, I'm using King James here. So it wasn't the NLT. I'm sorry about that. Let me read that one more time without stopping. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is my honor? This is God asking Israel a question. He takes it a little further. He doesn't just stop the father thing. He goes a little further, and he says, and if I be a master, we don't necessarily hear those words a lot in the church. 
Where is my fear? I thought we weren't supposed to have fear, but we're going to get into it. Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name. In other words, God is saying, why am I not honored and why am I not feared? It's very quiet in here right now, Jacob. Kim, I need you to laugh or something. If a father is to be honored, right, by his children, then where is God's honor? That's the question that God is posing. If a master, or let's just take master out if it's too hard to really swallow, and let's put Lord, because ultimately if you look at master in the Hebrew, you're going to find that it ultimately means Lord or lordship, his lordship over his people. Where is my fear? Striking words from the prophet Malachi. It starts off the very beginning of the book. This is the word of the Lord that God gave to the prophet Malachi for the priest of Israel. The priests who are essentially running the show, holding things down in the temple. The truth is here today that each of us view or put God into one of these categories, don't we? I mean, if you are honest with yourself, I'll be honest, I'll be honest. I don't necessarily trend <laughs> to viewing God as Lord. Or, I'll say, I don't necessarily trend towards viewing God as master, as one I should fear. I more trend to viewing God as father. That's good. This is a good place to be. But essentially, what God is saying in the book of Malachi is that he wants to be both. He wants to be both father and master, our Lord, whatever one you feel more comfortable with. He wants to be honored, and he wants to be feared. Guys, he's the same God yesterday, today, and what? Forever. I know that sometimes we think that the Old Testament can just be wiped away in light of what Christ did. That is bad theology. That is bad doctrine. If there was no need for the Old Testament, why in the heck would we have it? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, as we view God into one of those categories, or as one, or you know, either Father or Lord, you know, I know some of us won't be necessarily all that honest about that, but but honestly, if you if we took a poll and we were to say, hey, Douglas, which do you more lean to, seeing God as Father or Master? Which one? Which one do you see? Do you see him as a loving dad? And if Douglas was honest. I'm sure he'd say father. It's, you know, it's pretty common among the brethren, the, the body of Christ. Ecclesiastes says, all things are common among the brethren. That means my struggle or my outlook may be the same as yours. Probably is the same as yours. I know that we like to think that we're special and that our problems or the things we go through, the way we view God is kind of individualistic. Christina Ho, individualistic? Oh, shit. I know it was a word. I just, you know, she's smiling. And that's what it's all about. I know that we like to think that we're really, like, special. And we are. Don't get me wrong. We are very special, aren't we? But we're not so special that we can't identify with one another's struggles, hardship, sin, and viewpoints about God or our view about God. We all have a view. And today what I'm trying to say, in my introduction to my, ministry, my message, not my ministry, uh, is that you either today lean to one or the other. And the problem is, just like in the day of Malachi, God wants to be viewed as both. But see, you don't have much master fear of the Lord preaching behind the pulpit today, do you? You don't really have that. And when you start to take that from out of teaching, when you start to take the concept of Lord, of God being Lord or a master, one who is desiring to be feared of his people, it starts to just kind of slip away in the back of our minds. If it's not being preached, 
we probably, in our subconscious and in our spirit, will never visit it. And the problem in the body of Christ is today we have, well, I'm going a little ahead of myself. We have like two camps in the body of Christ right now. And you can see it. It's all over the Internet. You know, you're, you who like the Internet preacher, it's cool. I love it. I'm into it. Just I don't call it home. But uh, uh, those who, you can, you can see the manifestation of the reality of these two camps starting to come. We have this, this uh, father, daddy, God stream who is ultimately very good. Listen, I'm not trying to do away or under or overemphasize either one of them. They're both good. The problem is, is they're not equal. They're not equal in the way that we present them to the body of Christ. We, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'm going to stop. Now I'm finding myself in my notes because there's some real good stuff here. And you're laughing. That's good. Let me go back. The book of Malachi, honestly, is a conversation, right? Isn't it? Those who know the book know that essentially this is what goes on. God speaks to the prophet Malachi. Malachi presents to the priest what God is saying to Malachi. There's thus saith the Lord all over it. And the, the priest attack back with a question. So it's like, you haven't honored me as father. You haven't feared me as matter, master. And the priests are like, well, how have we done this? And what, what, we, you know, So they try to argue their innocence over the matter and everything that they do. And essentially, the book of Malachi, yes, is directed towards priests. It's directed towards the leadership of the church. And I know, I know that there's a lot of people who will use this book to hammer pastors. To, you know, it's distorted in the area that we like to hammer leadership and kind of like, see, see, you priest, God's going to get you. And there's an element of a truth to that. But isn't in the New Testament we call, we're called a royal priesthood? If there's anything that's changed, now, is there's not that hierarchy system where I am Daryl, priest, and Christian, you may come and confess. There's no more hierarchies in the church. Christ, through the work of the cross, had made the ground level. Now, there is a requirement for those who shepherd the body of Christ. What am I saying? There's more of a requirement. I will, I will, uh, I will give an account unto God the way that I shepherd his people. I will. You, unless you plan on being a pastor or a priest, whatever, I don't know. But if you plan on being one, then when you get before the king of glory, you will give a greater account to God for that role of shepherding that you played in people's lives. That those who aren't, won't. What am I saying? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he looked for in the book of Malachi is the same thing he's looking for today. He's looking. That's okay, Matt. It's all right, bro. I got you, bro. I got you. He's calling somebody. I don't know what's going on over there. No, I love you, man. I just want to see you smile. That's that smile. It just pulls me in. Matthew, just stop right there. Smile. Come on. Come on. Jacob Kim, it's a good smile, isn't it? Wow. You're slow on that. But essentially, God wants to be equal, or he wants to be viewed as both. Okay. Now, it's true. The book of Malachi is dealing with corruption amongst the church government, this church structure. It's also dealing with issues of giving, where the priests are mishandling the offerings and the givings. They're, 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 they're mishandling it. They're probably using it for their own benefits. They're uh, giving crippled animals and blind animals as sacrifices to God. And God's like, hey, what's up with this? You know, if a king was here, would you, would you give him that animal? Would you sit down for dinner and serve that animal to a king or a governor? No. Then I'm God. What better should I have than the kings that you wouldn't even present this food to? Or you wouldn't even present this sacrifice. So essentially, I don't want to get rid of the whole storyline of Malachi to prove my point today. Because there is truth that God was dealing with the priest, and he was dealing with corrupt, corrupt leadership. But my question I would pose to you today is, we are all now a royal priesthood. We are all now, in one way or another, rather it be at our work, rather it be here behind the pulpit, 
rather it be in school, we are all priests. I like what Bob Widener says. He says, full-time ministers, raise your hand. And you go, and if nobody raises their hand, you're in trouble. He'll call you right out. He's like, where? Well, I work. I, I, I don't. I'm. You're a full-time minister. Your, your, your field is your work, right? So we're all, we're all now, because of what Christ has done, we're all equal. And we're a royal priesthood. And that's just one scripture that identifies us as that in the New Testament. I know. You guys are probably thinking, where am I going with this? Well, I'm not done yet. So let me get back to my main point. They neither honored God nor feared him. And again, God desires to be both father and Lord of our lives. He wants to be honored and feared by his people. I'm going to skip down in my notes. I can't help but think the church has made God to look like he has or he suffers from multi-personality disorder. Like God's not sure who he is. Because honestly today, you're either getting one side or the other. And, and I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to overemphasize the fear of the Lord. I'm not trying to do that. But I think something that's kind of been swept under the rug maybe a little bit and kind of forgotten about, something that's sacred, something that's valuable, something of the, that speaks of the nature of God should be just emphasized as much. Hey, if we're going to do the father thing, let's do the master thing. If we're going to look at God as some loving, tolerant, patient father, we also need to look at him as Lord and master, the boss, the kingpin, the one who makes the decisions and you simply obey. I'm in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Some places you get stoned for saying that. I don't know necessarily stone, but you get those mind stones. You're just like, Doo! you know, it's not even like verbal. You're just like, they make something in their hand, they're scooting. You're like, oh, my God. And again, I'm not trying to overemphasize fear. And we're, we're going to get into this. So two camps. The church has made God to look like he has like some kind of personality disorder. He's not sure of who he is. He's confused. Um, he's not quite sure of who he is. He's uncertain of his role with his children. Or he's uh, one day uh, one kind of God and the next day another. You know, it, 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 there has to be some form of clarity. It's, 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 like, it's like forsaking the full counsel of who God is. It's like totally overlooking one to just overemphasize the other because it feels better. We, and, and again, you're going to feel like, if you don't go back and listen to those messages, you're going to feel like, man, you're coming into a conversation midway. I am totally sorry for that. If I jump back to Hebrews 12, I could give the whole recap, but it ain't worth it. We're going to go forward. So listen to the message. Hebrews 12, let me just recap it for briefly. We can turn there. Hebrews 12, and we're just do 5 through 10. Is everybody all right? I won't do what Pastor Najem did. I won't try to work my crowd. Amen? Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Okay. All right. God, I love it. All right, Hebrews 12. Hopefully we're not getting too far ahead of ourselves. Well, I'm not getting too far ahead of myself. All right, let's start in the fifth verse. And have you forgotten the encouraging words? Now, these are supposed to be encouraging. (laughs) Let's listen to these words. You guys didn't get the humor in that. Wendy, these are supposed to be encouraging. You're actually supposed to get encouraged after hearing what you're about to hear in Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. That's right. The word says discipline. It's not a type out. It's really, it's really what's written here. And don't give up when he corrects you. That's another word. It's there. Paul said it. It's written. I'm I'm believing it, okay? Discipline and correct. For the Lord, verse 6, 
disciplines those what he loves. He disciplines those he loves in, oh, this is going to be a hard one, NLT. Ooh, it's better than the uh, King James Version, guys. Uh, it's not better, but the words are, the language is just a little bit less. Okay, he punishes Checking to see if there's any those mind rocks that we talked about. For the Lord disciplines those he what he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Verse seven: As you endure this divine discipline, have you you just have you ever just thought about some of these words? Have you? Why why is why I believe Paul's using divine discipline because it's a discipline and he'll go on further i think to explain this in the chapter the discipline of god so far outweighs it's in its perfection it's so far it so far supersedes any kind of way that your earthly parents have ever dealt with you even the most perfect of parents sarah because everybody wants to be a son or a daughter of Mandua. That's a good family. Matthew, come on. I mean, you love your mom and dad, but if you could, you'd be like, Mandua. Are you guys doing a Christmas tour? No. Anyways, (laughs) it's divine. It's a discipline that's divine. Think about that, Jacob Kim. Here he goes. Now, this this is Proverbs. Essentially, Paul's just quoting I kind of stalled there. He's quoting, uh, I think it's Proverbs 3.11. And, and this wasn't something that just came out of Paul right in then. He's, he's, he's quoting a prophecy out of the book of Proverbs. Shows you that the Old Testament has a bit of relevance, doesn't it? Seven. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his child. Whoever heard, now he's, he's going to correct, he's going to bring this divine, he's going to bring out the divineness of God's discipline. Because he's going to compare it to the way you and I or the listeners or the readers or whatever have viewed or been handled by their parents. Because it's so easy, guys, isn't it? It's so easy to mentally make the connection that God will deal with you the way your father or your mother did. I don't know, maybe I'm alone in that, Christina, I don't know. Maybe you can help me out after. Uh, but I, 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 for a long time, I viewed God and the way that he handled me as one of his child a little bit different than my dad because my dad was a raging alcoholic. I mean, he's just crazy. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking God's not, you know, into alcohol. I'm, I pretty much, you know. But, okay, that's a place for you to laugh. Um, so, but I, I, I could always get confused in the way and how I responded to the discipline of God because I always thought it somehow it was wrapped up and it kind of translated to me the same as if my dad was right there telling me I'm a failure. You know, that's sometimes the way correction and discipline can feel, isn't it not? I don't know about you, but my wife, my wife chooses to throw some correction bombs at me. Right? Come on. It, it don't exactly feel good. And I have a choice in the moment. Daryl, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? And, and I don't always respond the best. But as I mature and grow in the love of God, in the discipline of God, because remember, we talked about this last week in Corinthians 7 verse 1, Paul points out the progressive nature of growing and maturing in the things of God by the fear of the Lord. It's right there. Yeah, yeah, Wendy, it's right there. Let me, let me just read it for you just in case you think I'm crazy. I gotta find in my notes. Seven one. Where are you? I'm looking. Anyways, it's there. <laughs> Second Corinthians seven one points out the progressive nature of maturing in the things of God by means of the fear of the Lord. That's New Testament. We're gonna find out later in my message. I'm, this is just my introduction, right, Kristen? You're like, dude, you're used to pulling long hours. No, I'm just joking. Don't get scared. Don't get scared. <laughs> Where was I? Okay. 
So we can sometimes get confused, can't we? You know, as we're growing in it, we can get confused and kind of think that the way God points out things in our life is no more than our dad sitting right there. I don't know about your dad. Maybe Mandua, I'm sure he never did this. Um, but not all of us have a Mandua, which you're blessed. Listen, my son is blessed because he doesn't have a Daryl Temple Sr. I'm not trying to, uh, dad's good now. Okay, he's walking with the Lord, praise God. But if I turned out, like my dad, man, alive, help Abram, help my wife. But God is nothing like our father. When he disciplines, it may feel the same, but it's not. It's not. And you can't do away with it just because it's a bit scary. I've learned to just, when God corrects me, be it by my wife, praise God, when you get married, bros, you're going you're gonna to know what I'm talking about, Jacob. Can, you're going to know. It's a good thing. God uses marriage to purify you. He uses marriage to create within us the image of Christ. It's awesome. Wendy, it's awesome. But it don't always feel good. And you have a choice in the midst of any form of discipline. Be it God uses your wife, a friend, a pastor. I know, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, did, he uses those still. You have a choice to respond in a godly manner or in a way that actually stops the fruit of the Spirit being bared in your life. I've learned, man, I've stood under some hard teaching. I've, I don't look for it, but it seems to be... In my camp, <laughs> it seems to be those I follow, you know. Uh, but, but I have learned to embrace the saltiness of God's word. The, the, the salt, you know. When, when a guy, a preacher, your father, your friend, your loved one, your wife, he, you know, they choose to point out some area in your life that maybe just ain't matching up to the scripture. And that salt gets in the wound. You know, Jesus said, you're a light under the hill. You're the salt of the earth. Well, friend, yes, yeah, salt preserves things, but it also could get into a wound and irritate and burn like something crazy, like Jacob Kim. And in, in that moment, we have a choice to respond correctly or to close up. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. That's a joke. Uh, just a little disclosure. Whenever I say I'm sorry, I'm really not. It's the most uninsincere apology, I think I said that right, that I would ever give. I, I am not, you know, so, I mean, unless I totally offend you, I'm just joking. Okay, and you're laughing, and you know, laughing helps us receive. It really does. That's why I try so much to get smiles on your face. Because when you're dealing with words like this, when you're dealing with language like this that you don't always hear, man, this stuff is hard to receive. But it needs to be said. It needs to be said. And we need to hear it, not just once, not just twice. But we say, yes, Lord, we want to honor you as Father and want to fear you as Master. The fear of the Lord is not just the beginning of wisdom, although it is. The fear of the Lord is a very good thing. And each and every one of us should desire the fear of God in our lives. If it wasn't for fear, I would be a raging alcohol. <laughs> and who knows what else? Let's go on. I would think I was in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 12. We will move on to verse 8. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it's real, it's what he said, it means that you are illegitimate. Ouch. You know, out of all the language, I said this before, and I will say it again. All the language in Hebrews chapter 12, in terms of punishment, discipline, those are some words that are hard to take, right? But in, in all of this chap chapter, the only thing that I get the scared the most of is that I might be, not that I am, but I could possibly fall in the trap of being illegitimate. It's, it's, you know, I'd rather stand under the discipline of God than to totally forsake it, not even pay attention to it, don't hear it, don't want it, and totally just daddy God camp 
where was I going? Daddy God camp. Is that? Daddy God camp. It's a good camp to be in. Then be an illegitimate child. Thank you, Christina Ho. You understand what I'm saying? Out of all the language in Hebrews 12, this verse right here, verse 8 should be the one that alarms us the most. That, well, it's not, not that the Lord would discipline us. It's not that the Lord would punish us. I don't even know what that means because I don't, you know, I'm like trying to wrap my head around punishment. I'm sure if we studied it, it would mean a lot more than what I'm presenting, but I haven't studied it, so I'm sorry. But if we did, then I'm sure it would have context, but it doesn't right now. So, but what I'm saying is the hardest thing for us to uh, uh, be able to receive is the possibility of being an illegitimate child, of not literally seeing or viewing or feeling or discerning God as a master, as a Lord. That's what terrifies me the most. The most. Verse 9, since we respected our earthly fathers, this is where he's explaining the divine discipline. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits in life forever? Makes sense, Paul. Verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years. Thank you, Jesus. Doing the best that they knew how? I don't know about that. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you would got that whole message, sharing in God's holiness, unpacked. It's a great message. You won't be let down on that. But don't go four Sundays ago. Please don't go four Sundays ago. Now, I want to kind of pull up the emergency break. Jacob, don't fall asleep. Okay, this is, I hope it's going to be good. I want to just park on verse 11. Can we do that for just a couple minutes? Wendy? Okay. No discipline is enjoyable while it happens. Thank you, Paul, for that bit of encouragement and sympathy. It's painful, but I'm sorry. Let me start again. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. NLT. Let me read that again. No discipline is enjoyable. While it is happening, it is painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. You can just take right living out and say righteousness. I know some of us have the theology that to be uh, righteous or pure is something that happens when we get to heaven. And there is some truth to that, right? There is. There is. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not really, I'm not scoring on the righteousness card. And even if I did, you know, the funny thing about it that keeps us totally unreligious about it is even our righteousness is as filthy rags in light of God's righteousness. Right? kind of just takes, you know, you know, Daryl's trying to be religious, talking about righteousness. No, because even if I was to make an attempt and want to mature in right living, my righteousness would still be filthy rags in light of God's righteousness. But it doesn't get rid of the fact that God wants me to live a righteous life before him. On earth, because you will not have a problem in heaven being righteous. Just like we won't have a problem trying to pray for somebody to be cured from cancer in heaven. It's not going to happen. The evangelist is not going to have a great ministry when he gets into heaven. You're going to have to think of something else to do, because it's, it's over, Johnny. We won't be evangelizing in heaven, right, Fabiano? I mean... You know, we won't be going, hey, man, you know the Lord? Oh, okay. Hey, you know the Lord? Oh, okay. It's not going to happen. It's just. And thus is the same for righteousness. We will be perfected in righteousness when we get before the king of glory. But just because of that note, friend, does not mean we downplay or get rid of the element of God's desire for us to be righteous or to live rightly, as Paul puts it in the NLT. 
if you look at the uh, King James, it will say righteousness. And all that language, if you study it out in the Greek, it would simply mean purity. It would mean righteousness. <laughs> it would mean something that is for here, not just there. Okay. Is everybody all right? Okay, because I, th- I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start pulling a fool now, jump. I'm going to start pulling it. Amen? Okay. No, just Jacob, you look all concerned, dude. By the way, wasn't that great dancing? The boy beat me by three stars. I have one star, dude. And I was, yeah, from the video, it kind of looked like we were in sync. I'm not talking like in sync, although it did feel like sometimes we were. I'm talking about the band in sync. That's how good it felt to me. Maybe I'm over, overemphasizing that. But, man, three stars. I think you have a calling. In, in the dance ministry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just got to, if you would bear with me, I just got to find myself in my notes here. What is God's purpose in the whole deal? You know, what's my point, right? I'm sure some of you guys are saying, okay, Daryl, for kind of the same language for three Sundays. I know, I know. I feel like I'm putting a different spin on it for you guys. I mean, Sarah, I'm trying the best I can. No. Uh, But what is my point? What is the point? Because there is a point, is there? There's a point when the Word of God addresses certain things, when it highlights different things. There's got to be a point. What is the point? The point of Hebrews chapter 12 is that God would desires and wants to bring forth righteousness or right living from his children. And he uses the means of discipline to do, to flush that out, if you would. As well, and Hebrews 12 touched upon that, as, as, as well as his fatherly heart. I touched up, talked about this last week. You know, if I just overlooked everything, you know, he's four and a half. Okay, so I'm not, you know, I got to, my wife said something really good. Choose your battles. You know, he's four and a half. You know, if, if the guy's running around like a nut job, I may stop him once or twice. He probably doesn't even hear me because he just gets right back into it, starts running around. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat the point to he's totally bored and I'm totally bored. But if I never interjected at all, if all I showed Abram was a father who overlooked everything, even at four and a half, who just, you know, he's kicking Will in the shin, and Will's like, ah! You know, I, I can't, you know, are he saying a cuss word? Hopefully not at four and a half, he's not. Although, it would not be abnormal in this generation. I know everybody laughs, but it would not be abnormal. Have you hung around kids? They're insane. The point is, what the parents do in moderation, the children do in excess. It's a scripture verse. I, 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 I believe it. Everything that I do in moderation, my son plays out in excess to the 10th, to the T. But if I was to always overlook things that displease me or that I knew, displ- like we're on this Halloween trip right now. It's Christmas time, and all my son is singing about is Halloween. I don't get it. Yeah, it's not like dad and mom are in, in the house singing about Halloween, but it's vampires. I was at the Lego store. He wants this monster Lego that has like a skeleton horse and vampire with big fangy teeth. I know, I'm trying to cast a spirit out of him, but it's, it's not happening. But I had to sit down with him today because it's just, it's, it's like, and I, hear me, he's four and a half. I know that. I know that. Believe me. I'm a good dad. But I had to interject today in the car. And I had to tell him, listen, son, mommy and daddy want no affiliation. We don't celebrate Halloween or darkness. I know, don't get, ah. It's not, we, we've never dressed Abram up. Every Halloween, we shut down the lights. Nobody's home, Okay. And I, I'm just saying, son, you know, it's a little bit too much. It, it, you're, you're, the vampire thing, the ghost thing, there's only one ghost. It's the Holy Ghost. Praise God. But if I never 
buffered Abram. And I only just, yeah, okay. <laughs> Praise God. It would not do anything for him. Have you ever seen a child who is tremendously wayward? They are off the hook and you're just like, where is that guy's father? Oh my God. And you're like, cast a demon out of him. Not that there's a demon in Douglas. There's no demon in him. But you know what I mean? The, the thing is, if we're to constantly just turn our eyes and God is the same way. He's the same way. He doesn't just, oh, Jacob, I can't believe you just did. Okay, well, there's always tomorrow. <laughs> Although there is always tomorrow, isn't there? His mercy is new every morning. But God's desires say, no, Jacob. And I'm just using you because you're awesome. Okay, I love this guy. No, Jacob, I have better for you. What? No, I don't want you glorifying that in your life. I don't want your focus there, Jacob. And if need be, if Jacob continues down that string, God will lay his life barren before he just lets him get away if Jacob's heart is tender and real towards the Lord. Have you ever just, have you ever just felt like you've turned your, yourself away from any kind of correction or reproof from God, and then all of a sudden your life, maybe a year or a couple months down the road, you find that you have nothing. Maybe I'm alone in that. But you feel like, oh, my God, where, where did, you know, happened here? What's going on here? I, I, where'd my friendship go there? Where'd, where'd my finances go here? Have you ever had that where you just, you totally neglect God's correction in your life, his discipline with your life, and at the end of maybe because he is extremely patient and kind, you find yourself at the end of the road with absolutely nothing. I have about three times. You think after the first or second time, I get it. But I didn't. And that is a common, common problem with the people of God. I would rather at this stage in my life, Jordan Wells, open my heart to receive correction and discipline and fear the Lord than at the end of the road, hilltop totally go away, J-hop totally get away because why? God can't get my heart. I'm prone, guys. Just because I'm preaching this message does not mean I'm above uh, this standard. I'm not. I'm in this place of constantly, God, I want to veg. I want to watch a movie. I want to watch a lot of movies because I'm overwhelmed. God, I want to eat. I didn't get this stomach by just fasting, okay? It really happened. It, it, but, but you understand what I'm saying. And, and God's, no, Daryl, come. I got things I want to share with you. I got things I want to talk to you about. I got things that are going to help you build your church. I got things that are going to make you a more tender, responsive worship leader. I got things I want to show you. And I'm like, oh God, I'm so overwhelmed. I dealt with like 110 problems today, mainly with the people of God. And I just want to zone out. Shut it off. And all of a sudden, you're in that constant tendency of always doing that. There's never that time where you're like, you just all of a sudden say, yeah, God, I want to talk now. I'm ready to work it out. You're always like, no, 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 later, later. Listen, open your heart now. Open your heart while you're young. Don't just view God as a father. View him as a father, but just don't stop there. Honor him as a father, but don't just stop there. Serve him as master and Lord of your life. Because, guys, honestly, the same problem that that. The priests we're having in the book of Malachi is the same problem the church is faced with today. And you will see, you mock my words. Mock? Mark. Thank you. You mark my words. And you can mock them if you want. But as the seasons go on, this battle will weigh our war in the church. It will war in the church. And it's all about the identity and the knowledge of who God is. And it will wage. Your brother will rise against brother. Message will rise against message. Pastor will rise against pastor. Internet pastor will rise against internet pastor. One pastor will say this. Another pastor will say that. God is both. And I'm not mad. I'm passionate. God is both. Let's just read some stuff in closing. Don't say amen to that. How do we reconcile this dichotomy? Will Eifler taught me that word. Yeah. 
Yeah, bet you don't get that in Harvard, Jacob Kim. No, I bet you do. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Wow, that says a lot. It says a lot, young man. So. How do we reconcile this dichotomy? How do we understand God as a loving father, but who is also wants to be Lord of our lives? I'm just going to read something that I wrote, and it's going to not feel like preaching, so please bear with me, okay? It's going to feel like I'm talking to you. Can I talk to you? Probably some of you are saying, yes, please talk to me, because I can't take the shouting. It's really overboard. I had one couple from Germany. I felt, I didn't know how to reconcile it in my heart, but um, I think David and Katya brought them. And uh, after service, I was like, hey, man, how they feel? How they feel about the message? They like the church? Come on, how they feel? Talk to me. And he's like, yeah, they, they were, they liked it, you know. And I was like, well, Dave, what's, what's, what's the deal, dude? What's, what, what, what? He's like, you kind of reminded these guys of Hitler. I'm like, what? Oh, no. I was speaking. It was me that was speaking. Oh, Hitler was a great speaker. Okay, well, oh, Lord. Help us with that doctrine. Please don't leave the church because you just heard that. <laughs> okay. He was, he was powerful in the way that he motivated people and the way that he influenced people. Exactly right. But not something you want to hear your best mate tell you about friends that they just brought to church. And I'm like, God, how do I, you know, I get so passionate. I just want to, ah! and, and how do I make, feel, make people feel like I'm not Hitler? That's just weird, dude. So listen. Let's see you're laughing. That's awesome. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking to you right now, simply just reading off my iPad, and we're going to bring it home. Amen? We're going to bring it home. Whew. Pat's already played. Game's over. They lost. It's all right. Sarah's, Sarah's wrecked about that now. I just keep on hitting my iPad and ultimately losing my place. Sorry. So how do we reconcile this dichotomy? How do we understand God as a loving father, but also one who is Lord of our lives and who is to be feared? I often hear people explain the fear of the Lord as mere respect or reverence. But the Bible uses the word fear at least 300 times in reference to God. So we make the mistake when we choose to downplay the fear of the Lord. The subject becomes even more mysterious when we read something like 1 John 4.18 that says, perfect love expels fear. I know that some will Yes, I mean, that's even going through my mind while I'm preaching this message, right? Maybe I'm the only one. So how do we reconcile this dichotomy? How can we fear God while he expels fear? Scriptures are full of examples of how fearing God is a positive rather than a negative thing. For example, Genesis 42:18, Joseph wins his brother's trust when he declares he's a God-fearing man. It's because of the midwife's fear of God that they obeyed him instead of the authorities by sparing the Hebrews' babies. That was in Exodus 1:17. Pharaoh brought disaster on his nation because he did not what? He did not fear the Lord. Exodus 29 through 31. The Mosaic law cites the fear of God. I'm sorry. The Mosaic law cites the fear of God as a reason to treat the uh, disabled and the elderly well. In Leviticus 19, 14, 32. At least we think this... Uh, least we think that this would only be an old testament idea jesus states a stronger it states it as stronger than anyone else he says don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body they cannot touch your soul fear only god who can destroy both soul and body matthew 10 28 and also the scripture verse that i was looking for earlier corinthians second corinthians 7 wall 7 1 Paul says, to work toward complete holiness because we what? Fear God. So it's clear that these passages, 
passages uh, say that fearing God is a good thing because it saves us from our from um, caving into our sinful nature. I always get a little tongue tied when I have to read. I'd rather just preach. But in fact, Romans three is a classic chapter on sin. In Romans three, it says that our chief sin is that we what we have not the fear of God in our hearts. So how does fear of God, who is perfect love, take away fear? I just want to read something from William D. Eisenhower. I don't even know who the man is. Eisenhower. Is that the real Eisenhower? I don't know. I don't know if his name was William. Unfortunately, many of us presume that the world is the ultimate threat and that God's function is to offset it. How different this is from the biblical position that God is far more scarier than the world. When we assume that the world is the ultimate threat, we give an unwarranted power. For in truth, the world threats are temporary. When we accept God to balance the stress of the world, we reduce him to the world's equal. As I walk with the Lord, I discover that God poses an ominous threat to my ego, but not to me. He rescues me from my delusions so he may reveal the truth that sets me free. He casts me down only to lift me up. He sits in judgment of my sin but forgives me nevertheless. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom, but love from the Lord is its completion. The ultimate example of fear and perfect love working together was said best by Jesus Christ. He warned us at every turn to fear God and not men. He confirmed that everything was about his life and death. He spoke lovingly, frankly, told all and didn't mince words when people needed to face their sin and repent. But he also demonstrated love beyond human understanding. When he lived out his words, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. With love like that, what is left to fear but God? Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you that the issue is not, Lord, that we're not overemphasizing the fear of the Lord. We're simply, Lord, talking about who you are in your fullness, God.